This is the Lesbian Historic Motif Podcast, brought to you by Heather Rose Jones. The show looks at lesbian and sapphic themes in history and literature, and historical fiction with queer female characters, including fantastic versions of the past. We present research, interviews, news of the field, book listings, and original historical fiction for your enjoyment. For even more historic research, check out our blog, Today, the Lesbian Historic Motif Project is delighted to welcome Jane Walsh, whose Regency romance, Her Lady to Love, is coming out from Bold Strokes Books this month. Welcome, Jane. Hi, Heather. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Why don't you start with a synopsis of your book? Okay, well, Her Lady to Love is the title of my debut romance novel, my Regency romance, set in the 1810s. And it's a book about a shy wallflower, Lady Honora, who comes to London in search of a husband, and the popular party girl, Miss Jacqueline Lockhart, that she finds instead. (laughs) So um, it's a book that I really wanted to write. I wanted to make sure that the main characters had already had sexual experience with other women. So these are two characters who already know that they're queer, and there's a very clear attraction between them. And there's not that much hesitation on acting on that that attraction. Yeah, I always like that in a book because I realized when I was first starting to think of plots for historical novels that all of them were between inexperienced women and they all started out with, oh my God, I am the only one. What is this thing I am feeling? And I realized that would get old really fast. Right, and I do like reading those. I do. And I'm sure at some point, I'll probably have a novel where that is the case. But for right now, I'm trying to, with this series of works, I'm trying to focus on women who, they know themselves, they're comfortable with themselves, they're comfortable expressing themselves, and so the plot can kind of be about other things. I hope that's what's coming across this one. I noticed in the synopsis that the plot in this one, to some extent, has to do with social access. Who has access to what? Yes, so the shy wallflower type is a lady, Lady Honora, and the party girl is just a mere miss. And she doesn't have access to the same kinds of events, same social events that Lady Honora has access to. So they've kind of agreed that, like as kind of a social currency, Miss Jacqueline will help Lady Honora find a husband, and Lady Honora will kind of give access to Jacqueline to kind of like this upper echelon and in the same way Lady Honora is going through her own changes because although she's the one granting access socially in kind of like the the social world the ballrooms and the soirees Lady Honora is also experiencing an introduction of herself into kind of the literary salons and she meets somebody who invites her to kind of a a company of ladies who meet every week to discuss about um, more kind of social activism and education for women. And that that kind of broadens Lady Honora's mind to like the potential that could await her. Because she always thought that she had to grow up and marry a husband. And she had never thought about another kind of world that could await for her, even though she's had same-sex relationships. 
she never considered them to be something that could be kind of something permanent in her life. So they're both kind of on a journey where Lady Honora is going on a journey through kind of the education in these salons, and Miss Jacqueline is trying to go through a journey through like the upper echelons of society. I'm very fond of salons as a context for bringing women together and talking about interesting subjects and meeting interesting creative people in that context. I've recently been reviewing several books for the blog about salon culture, both in England and France, and I think it is dreadfully underused as a context for same-sex love. I agree. I mean, what's not to love about a group of women getting together, sharing ideas, you know, you get really excited, really interested in the kind of things that you're exploring. And for a lot of these women, this might be their first time learning about certain ideas, like really like broadening their horizons and opening their eyes. I think almost everyone who writes a Regency romance starts out as a fan of the era and the genre. So who or what get, got you started with your Regency love affair? I would say that my great love is really both the Georgian era and Regency. It's the whole shebang from like 1760 to like 1830, kind of like that kind of broader Georgian period. I'm just absolutely in love with. And the first romance that I ever read was very squarely in the Georgian milieu. It was Joe Beverly's Malorian series mm -hmm. with My Lady Notorious, which was the first one. And that had a huge impact on me. I absolutely loved the idea of these smart women, these dangerous men, a lot of lace, rapiers, duels. I just totally fell in love with that world. <laughs> and my other big favorite and big influence on me is Eloisa James. And my love of Eloisa James has definitely directly inspired me to write this series because a lot of her works, she often does kind of like like a modern comp for her works like she does she did a series that was based on little women and then there was another series that was very loosely based on um, desperate housewives and there was a book that was a beauty and the beast retelling but it was actually like very much um, derived from dr house and i absolutely love when she does this and there was one day that i was reading her work and i was thinking the thing that i would have really loved to see from eloisa james would be if eloisa james wrote the L word into the Regency world. <laughs> and that's absolutely the inspiration for me to write that comparison. Uh-huh. Yeah, heterosexual Regency romances, they, they play off a certain palette of formulas and assumptions. You know, it's a fairly broad set of assumptions, but still it's, it's very familiar. What was most different about writing a same-sex Regency? How did that change the shapes that a Regency story goes into? It certainly was more difficult to formulate a clear-cut happy ending, I would say, because typically in a traditional Regency romance, you do have a marriage. And sometimes the marriage starts out the novel. Sometimes it's a marriage of convenience. Or, you know, there's some reason why the two people have to get married and then they fall in love. But it almost always has marriage as the happily ever after. And I did find that it was a challenge to come up with something that would, you know, satisfy the reader, knowing that there wouldn't necessarily be a legal union at the end. Yes, a rite of passage, as it were, that signals that, you know, this is the conclusion. 
Right. Yeah, I think about that a lot, not only in this era, but thinking about the shapes of queer women's lives in history and how maybe to write their stories, we need to have a different, a broader set of happy endings that we can imagine. Because as you say, we can't rely on they married and then they lived happily ever after. I totally agree with you. And I would love to see there be that kind of kind of common world building. That is one of the things that I love so much about historical romance as a whole, which is that it's a group of writers and we're all writing the same kind of eras and everybody does it a little bit differently. Some people have more focus on historical details, some of them maybe a little bit less. But a lot of people writing historical romance have a lot of the same kind of world building that we share in. And I would love to see kind of like this same kind of world building, like a development of new tropes and new ideas that could be created in um, lesbian regencies. Like, I think that would be great if we could start to see that. that and that, that's like a shorthand that cues the reader in. So when you've seen it in other works, you can start to realize when you're reading like a new book or a new author that they might be using some of those same shorthands and those same commonalities. And that clues you in that there's going to be that happily ever after, that it's going to work in the same kind of way. And I would really love to see that. Yeah, that gets me thinking about how with straight romance, historical romances, you have this tension between the actual historical era and then the conventions of the romance genre where like, you know, you did, simply did not have that many young, handsome, unattached dukes and earls running around. And this is something that, you know, straight historical romance has made its peace with. It's the, the, the suspension of disbelief that they're allowed. And yet I think with female same-sex historical romance or historical fiction in general, we're still negotiating What's the suspension of disbelief that we're allowed? And I know that for me, as an amateur historian, one of the things that strikes me a lot is it's like grammar. You have to know the rules before you can break them. And I see right. a lot of people writing female same-sex relations in history without knowing what they're breaking. So we can't develop that set of allowed divergences if we haven't yet agreed on what are they diverging from. That's a fascinating point, and, and I agree with you, because I know that in my work, for sure, I've disregarded certain things. I've definitely taken liberties. Like, the fact that I do have these two women who are in the 1810s, they're meeting each other, they're flirting, and I'm not sure how realistic it is that neither of them feel like that sense of shame or that sense of guilt. Like, neither of them feel like this is a big problem or, like, you know, really anything to be concerned about or... You know, one of the characters is fine um, to just continue having affairs with women forever and never get married. And I'm sure that that <laughs> I'm sure that that happened. But on the other hand, I'm not sure really how open she could have been with her friends the way that I've written her to be. And I do think it's really interesting, like that idea of negotiation between kind of what you're writing, what the history was, and then also what the reader expectation is. I'm like, why are we writing these, right? Like, we're writing them for entertainment. Like, we're writing them for a specific goal, which is that somebody sits down for an evening or two and gets swept away in a great story. And it is interesting to kind of think about 
what you've left in and what you've taken out in order for that to become that light, fluffy story that you might want to provide to somebody. Yeah, the Regency subgenre is is really big in mainstream historical romance. And, you know, I've thought about why that is sometimes. I know it's been, you know, gets discussed a lot. Do you think that there is a similar potential for the Regency or the Georgian era in general to be similarly big in sapphic historical romance? Or is it something more specific to the, the male-female dynamic of the era? I think there's a huge potential for all of the historical subgenres to be translated and transmitted into sapphic romance. And I hope that I'm the one to do a lot of it because I am so excited about the idea of medieval historicals. I love the idea of the Scottish Highlander kind of subgenre. I think there's a lot of fun that you could have in like the Tudor era, which is really an overlooked era in both straight romance and queer romance. I think there's a whole lot of a very exciting potential um, that could be had. And part of that potential is that through a lot of these centuries, the goings-on between women were not always remarked upon. It was easier for women to have friendships that might have been something a bit more. But if people aren't paying attention to women in general, then they're not picking up on those cues of this relationship that could be happening between these women. And I think that that could be explored in so many different avenues. Oh, absolutely. I I totally agree there. There were eras when romantic attachments between women were normalized. They were expected. They were also expected not to interfere with marrying men. But there is so much potential for relationships that go under the radar as sexual relationships because the emotional relationships were part of the normal landscape. Absolutely. And I think that there's so much there that could be unpacked and that could be written really beautifully and really sensitively. And I know that there are people that are going to pick up on these ideas and they're going to run with them. I think the historical romance body of work for sapphic romance, I think, I think it's going to really expand a lot in the next few years. I think there's going to be a lot more interest focused on it. And partly, I think that's because um, the big five publishers are starting to publish more queer literature and also more queer historicals. And I think that's going to push it more into the mainstream. And I think more people are going to be attracted to writing it as well as reading it. So it's, it's very, very exciting at this point like to kind of see those things start to happen. Mm. So I want to change track a little bit. Your bio mentions something about costume design. Now, I have an amateur interest in clothing history and costuming myself. So I would love to hear more about that. So I have a degree in, um, it's fashion design with a specific uh, focus on costuming. I really, really had my heart set on costuming for theater uh, when I was taking that uh, degree. And unfortunately it didn't work out because there just uh, were very few jobs <laughs> that yeah. were available in that particular niche. And to find work, I do, I do work in fashion but I don't work with costuming, unfortunately. But I have a huge love for it. And it was so much fun studying costuming, creating my own costumes, doing the research. Like um, one of my big projects in my final year was 1860s costuming. And it had these big skirts and bustles. And we had to do 
like the wigs and the hair and the hats and the gloves. And it was just fantastic. It was super interesting. So are you part of any organizations that do costumed events and get get your love out that way? I'm not. And, you know, (laughs) the thing that I learned when I was doing this degree is that I love the research and I love to draw the costumes. I love the design process. And I do not enjoy sewing or ironing. <laughs> so as soon as the degree was done, I I have not sewn a stitch since then. Sometimes I do look at those Jane Austen Society pictures, and I think, gosh, I could make I could make one of these Regency dresses. Like they're not very difficult to construct. I know I could do it. It's in my wheelhouse, but just can't do it. Ah oh, well. So, do you have any future projects that you can tell us about? Yes, I'm actually um, going to be publishing a second work in the same kind of milieu as the first. Her Lady to Love is the first book, and then the sequel is Her Countess to Cherish, which follows the life of one of the best friends from book one. So that's coming out in August 2021. Ah. Yes, I know people love the semi-connected series. Absolutely. Like, I love hearing all the details of all the friends, all the minor characters. Seeing how they get their happily ever after is really fun for me. So I hope that that's coming through as well. So if people wanted to follow you on social media, where should they look? They can find me um, at my website, www.janewalshwrites.com, and also on Twitter, where I'm Jane Walsh Writes. Okay, I'll add links to all of those in the show notes, along with all of the books that we mentioned. And thank you so much for sharing your time with the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Heather. It was a great time. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast. See the show notes for links to people and topics. Most shows will have a transcript linked as well. If you have a book announcement, a topic suggestion, or might like to appear on the show, please drop me an email. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate it and subscribe on your favorite podcast app, and consider supporting our Patreon 